0: Hello and welcome to day seven of my dog days of podcasting. Today is Monday, August 10th, 2020. Today I'll be talking about pandemics in Mexico in the 1500s. This is our introduction to European colonialization of the Americas and its effects on the health of native inhabitants. As a side note, this randomly got me into thinking, what did uh, the native inhabitants call America before Europeans called it America? Well, one thing they called it evidently was Turtle Island. It was a name for Earth or North America used by some indigenous and first nations. The name is based on a common indigenous creation story. Some Native Americans believe that the turtle contributed to the creation because the turtle dove into the primeval waters to retrieve mud to create Mother Earth. Additionally, the shell of the turtle represents protection and perseverance. Okay, sorry about that, getting off track. Let's get back to pandemics. Uh, Mexico, 1500s. The history of smallpox in Mexico spans approximately 500 years, from the arrival of the Spanish to the official eradication in 1951. It was brought to Mexico by those in Spanish ships, then spread to the center of Mexico, where it became a significant factor in the fall of Tenochtitlan. That's a hard word to say, Tenochtitlan. I think it was the major uh, city of... The Aztecs? I think, maybe? During the colonial period, there were major epidemic outbreaks which led to the implementation of sanitary and preventative policy. Smallpox was an unknown disease, not only in Mexico, but in all the Americas before the arrival of Europeans. It was introduced to Mexican lands by the Spanish and played a significant role in the downfall of the Aztec Empire. Herman Cortez. Who you all learned about somewhere in grade school, I think, departed from Cuba and arrived in Mexico in 1519, sent to start trade relations only on the Veracruz coast. However, he disobey disobeyed the Cuban governor and began to invade the mainland. The governor sent Panifilo Panifilo, his name is Panifilo de Narvaez, after Cortez. Nar- Narvaez's forces had at least one active case of the smallpox, and when the Narvaez expedition stopped at Cazumel and Veracruz in fifteen twenty, the disease gained a foothold in the region. Estimates of mortality range from one quarter to one half of the population of central Mexico. Wow. A Spanish monk that witnessed this epidemic said, it became such a great pestilence among them throughout the land that in most provinces, more than half of the population died. In others, the proportion was less. They died in heaps, like bedbugs. Also, I found this. In 1517, the Spanish conquistadors, led by Herman Cortes, arrived in Tenochtitlan, the capital of the Aztec Empire. The ruler of the Aztecs, Mata Chizoma II, made the Spanish welcome, and things were friendly between the Spanish and the Aztecs initially. Two years later, in 1519, the Conquistadors began their conquest of Mexico, and by August 1521, Tenochtitlan had been destroyed. The Spanish colony of New Spain was established, and the Aztec Empire had ended. Wow, that was fast. Certainly Spanish military might played a role, as well as maybe did the poor Aztec treatment of others in their area who maybe did not come to the aid of the Aztecs. That's me uh, reading between the lines in some places there. But smallpox also played a major role. When Cortes and his army began their campaign against the Aztecs in 1519, over 30 million people were living in Mexico. 100 years later, after a series of Smallpox epidemics had decimated the local population. It is estimated that only around 1.5 to 3 million natives had survived. Okay, 30 million down to less than 3 million. That's incredible if that is really true. By the way, if you want to correlate times here, remember, I think it was the last episode I talked about in Rome when they carried the cross Uh, during the bubonic plague and uh, after carrying it for 16 days they thought the plague went away. That was 1522, so that was exactly the same time this was going on. A bit more about smallpox. Smallpox is a horrific and highly contagious illness that initially causes high fevers, vomiting, headache, and a severe and severe abdominal and back pain. These symptoms subside after a couple of days and then a few days later, the renowned rash appears. The smallpox rash starts in the face and hands and then rapidly spreads to cover the body. Within two days of appearance, the rash turns into abscesses that are filled with fluid and pus. These abscesses then break open and scab over, the scabs eventually falling off, leaving pit-mark scars. This whole horrible process takes a month or so, and the infected person is contagious until the scabs have all fallen off. The major form of the disease has a mortality rate of 30 to 35 percent and has several serious complications, including scarring, blindness, and limb deformities. Here's a native account which describes the effects of smallpox upon the people of Tenochtitlan. It began to spread, striking everywhere in the city and killing a vast number of our people sores erupted on our faces our breasts our bellies we were covered with agonizing sores from head to foot the illness was so dreadful that no one could walk or move the sick were so utterly helpless that they could only lie on their beds like corpses unable to move their limbs or even their heads they could not lie face down or roll from one side to the other if they did move their bodies they screamed with pain a great many died from this plague, and many others died of hunger. They could not get up to search for food, and everyone else was too sick to care for them. So they starved to death in their beds. Bernal Diaz, Cortes's chronicler, described the scenes in the city of Tenochtitlan. We cannot walk without treading on the bodies and heads of dead Indians. I have read about the destruction of Jerusalem, but I do not think the mortality was greater there than here in Mexico. Indeed, the stench was so bad that no one could endure it. And even Cortez was ill from the odors which assailed his nostrils. Uh, that's about all I have on that. Although I did notice, too, that there was a smallpox ec- epidemic in Chile about 40 years later in the 1560s. I don't know if that was related to this one or not. I mean, it had to be eventually, right? Uh, It must have made its way down to Chile 40 years later. Yet more on smallpox, which is a DNA virus. The origin of smallpox is unknown. The earliest evidence of the disease dates to the third century BC in Egyptian mummies. Smallpox is estimated to have killed up to 300 million people in the 20th century and around 500 million people in the last 100 years of its existence. I'm not sure those two numbers really make sense. Hundreds of millions died. As recently as 1967, 15 million cases occurred a year. In 1796, Edward Jenner introduced the modern smallpox vaccine. Now you may have heard about Edward Jenner. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. By the way, the term smallpox was first used in Great in Britain in the early 16th century to distinguish the disease from syphilis, which, is, which was then known as the great pox. I did not know that. So a little bit more on Edward Jenner and the smallpox vaccine, a story which you may have heard of. It's very, very famous. Edward Jenner, born in 1749, was an English physician and scientist who was the pioneer of the smallpox, vac- smallpox vaccine, the world's first vaccine. The terms vaccine and vaccination are derived from variolae vaccine, which means smallpox of the cow. Uh, the term devised by Jenner to denote cowpox. Jenner is often called the father of immunology, and his work is said to have saved more lives than the work of any other human. In his time, smallpox killed around 10% of the population, with the number as high as 20% in towns and cities where the infection spread more easily. Jenner noted the common observation that milkmaids were generally immune to smallpox. Jenner postulated that the pus in the blisters that milkmaids received from cowpox protected them from smallpox. So the maids would get blisters on their hands from getting cowpox. Cowpox is not as deadly as smallpox. People didn't die from it or anything, I guess. And uh, he noticed these, these milkmaids got these blisters and subsequently they seemed not to get smallpox. So that was the observation. On May 14th, 1796, Jenner tested his hypothesis by Hypothesis by inoculating James Phipps, an eight-year-old boy who was the son of Jenner's gardener. I'd like to know how that went down? Hey, Mr. Gardener, I'm going to uh, stick your son with some cowpox vaccine. See what happens? Anyway, he scraped pus from cowpox blisters on the hands of Sarah Nelms, a milkmaid who had caught cowpox from a cow called Blossom, whose hide. <laughs> whose hide now hangs on the wall of the St. George's Medical School Library. I think that's pretty funny. Anyway, Jenner inoculated Phipps in both arms that day, subsequently producing in Phipps a fever and some uneasiness, but no full-blown infection. Later, he injected Phipps with smallpox. Hey, Mr. Gardner, I'm going to now give you some smallpox. Let's see what happens. Hope you don't mind. Uh, anyway, no disease followed. It did seem to have worked. Eventually, vaccination was accepted, and in 1840, uh, the... I, I think I'm missing some words. I'm, I think it should be Britain or England or London provided vaccination using cowpox free of charge. Free vaccinations back in 1840. So, the moral of this story is that Jenner is a superstar, right? Actually, doing some more reading... It's not quite that simple. He wasn't really the original. Uh, The real story is that people were already being vaccinated, even before Jenner. But what they did was they used the smallpox itself. Jenner actually did not invent vaccines. He invented a much safer version for smallpox. Inoculation was already a standard practice, but involved serious risks one of which was the fear that those inoculated would then transfer the disease to those around them due to their becoming carriers of the disease. In 1721, well before Jenner, Lady Mary Wortley Montagu, let's try that again, Lady Mary Wortley Montagu had imported variolation, another hard word to say, variolation to Britain after having observed it in Constantinople, I thought this was a worthy point, a worthy good story, because this is a lady uh, bringing science to Britain, and we need more uh, appreciation of women or women scientists in history. So variolation is kind of another word for inoculation, and it was the first method used to immunize an individual against smallpox with material taken from a patient in the hope that a mild but protective infection would would result. The procedure was most commonly carried out by inserting or rubbing powdered smallpox scabs or fluid from pustules into super into super, superficial scratches made in the skin. Yes folks again, I am reading and wow, so much appreciation for people who do audiobooks and such cuz it is not easy. Anyway, the patient would develop pustules identical to those caused by naturally occurring smallpox usually producing a less severe disease than naturally acquired smallpox eventually after about two to four weeks these symptoms would subside indicating successful recovery and immunity so that's all on that one i'm going to mention a second one though and i think i'm going long today i apologize let's mention another mexican epidemic the Cocoliztli epidemic of 1545 to 1548, also called the Great Pestilence, the infection that caused the Cocoliztli Cocoliztli epidemic was a form of viral he- hemoro- hemorrhage- hem- <laughs> Oh my hemorrhagic! There we go hemorrhagic fever that killed 15 million inhabitants of Mexico and Central America, attributed to one or more illnesses. Collectively called cocolisti, a mysterious illness characterized by high fevers and bleeding. Among a population already weakened by extreme drought, the disease, disease proved to be utterly catastrophic. Cocolisti is the Aztec Aztec word for pest. A recent study that examined DNA from the skeletons of victims found that they were infected with a subspecies of salmonella, known as S. para typhi C, which causes a high fever, dehydration, and gastrointestinal problems and is still a major health threat today. You know, salmonella really pops up a lot, doesn't it? I didn't know this. I mean, we've been hearing it already. And even now we always hear about it in the news, some vegetable getting salmonella. So maybe I should do a whole episode on uh, this particular uh, bacterium because it seems to have a lot of subspecies and a lot of issues in history and now. Anyway, I'm sorry, I rambled too much today. That is all I have. For the next two days, we're not going to be talking about pandemics in history per se, but I'm going to talk about viruses, all about viruses. What are they and other aspects and interesting thing about viruses. See you tomorrow.